Good morning, everybody. Yeah, Jesus would do this from time to time. Actually, he'd teach on or answer a question posed from the crowd. Uh, So we gave you some ideas or options to choose from and things to write in. And uh, if you were to categorize all the things that were written in, uh, plus everything that was checked, uh, number one, most asked question from you guys was what about anxiety and depression? And I thank you for being that honest with me, that honest with us. Uh, Because I'll tell you, our hope is that this would be a place where we could deal with the real things we wrestle with in life, the hard things, the real uh, struggles. We're not just going to dress up and play church and pretend everything's okay um, when on the inside uh, there's something wrong. And whether it's at a weekend service or in our small groups to meet throughout the week, uh, that's our hope. And there are hard things in life and it can make us anxious, Uh, so anxious that it can lead to burnout or depression or darkness. And the starting point for me this week was really to uh, just define anxiety. Just to even start with what is anxiety. Different emotions produce different sensations, okay? So uh, anger, the emotion of anger, produces a sensation, a burning sensation, right? Rage, anger, produces a burning sensation. Okay, guilt produces a sickness or even like a nausea. Like you've experienced that when you did something you didn't want to do or something wrong, and uh, you get flushed. I mean, you just feel uh, almost sick. And what is anxiety? Anxiety is best described as a tightness or a constriction. And if it's strong enough, if it's intense enough, it's like a choking or like a panic attack. Psalm thirty-four, nineteen says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The word afflictions that I've highlighted there in the Hebrew is the same word as the Assyrian word for torture, where they stand you up on a post, and they tie you to that post, and they pile up rocks on you until they've piled enough on you that it crushes you dead. And when I discovered that in my study this week, I just burst into tears, because that's where some of you are. You're like, this... If there's one more thing, one more rock, I'm done. One more thing, I can't take it anymore. And it's almost like being tortured where you just have these rocks piling up around you and it's constricting you more and more and getting tighter and tighter and worse and worse. And just as you have that picture in your mind of these, this post and these rocks coming around you, I want to talk about just for a second the rocks in our lives. What are those rocks? And we're going to talk about the source of anxiety today, but let's just talk about the rocks for a second. They're the the amplifying or aggravating factors of anxiety. So they're the amplifying factors that make the anxiety and the depression worse. They're not the thing that's causing it. Okay, before we jump into this, just track with me here. This isn't the source. The source is whoever's tied you to this post and is torturing you. The rocks are the amplifying factors. So what are the rocks in our life, the things that are amplifying anxiety and making it worse? These are not in your notes, just on the screen. You can write them down if you want or just follow along. But one amplifying factor is your upbringing. You were raised, the way you were raised is going to have a significant role in how anxious you are. Your your upbringing is the operating system of your life. How you were nurtured is going to determine your nature. It's the operating system for your life. Now, I've got good news for you. You can rewrite an operating system. Amen? 
you can debug an operating system. So don't read that and think, well, there's no hope for me. No, there's hope for you. And we can help you do that. We help people with it all the time. You can rewrite an operating system, but you can't pretend it's not there. You can't pretend it's not there. Another amplifying factor is circumstances. And this is a wide range of things. Relationships, conflict, uh, the circumstance of being married, the circumstance of not being married, deadlines, uh, school stuff due, work stuff due, legal problems, separation, divorce. Uh, You might say a new job is causing anxiety. You might say, no, it's my old job that's uh, causing anxiety. Uh, Parenting, the expectations of others. Circumstances, you're afraid. Anxiety can come from fear. You're afraid something bad's going to happen. And when something bad does happen, guess what? It feeds the fear. It feeds the anxiety. Another amplifying factor is environment. And this could be anything from like a simple, simple thing like, just sound and lighting and whether you're like getting outside enough or you know what environment you're in all the way from like an environment of sin sin can amplify anxiety like nothing else I just want to say today do not leave in your sin okay unconfessed sin unresolved sin causes anxiety like nothing else because every time the phone rings it's like is this the is am I caught do they know? Have I been figured out? And an environment of sin can amplify anxiety like nothing else. Another amplifying factor is your body, uh, sleep, exercise, eating. It's all related. It all affects, affects each other. Another amplifying factor is genetics. Some people, um, because of their brain chemistry, are going to be more anxious than others. Physical, biological, neurological factors can amplify it and make it worse. And I don't want anything I say today to be, I don't want you to take it as anti-medicine or anti-counseling or anti-psychiatry could not be further from the truth of what you're going to hear from me. And for some of you, uh, what I say today isn't going to make much of a difference if you don't get on the right meds or stay on the meds you and your physician have decided on. Uh, But even that, even when they prescribe something, they tell you this is only one side of the coin. You're still going to have to settle these other issues. And many will even tell you it's it's a spiritual issue. Another amplifying factor is how we use technology. We know for a fact, everyone agrees, that human beings are not equipped to deal with this constant incoming stream of information. We think we can, but we can't. And so every time we search or get an email, get a text, get a phone call, get a news alert, look at a post on social media, and for many of us, all that combined is hundreds of times a day, and it's literally frying our brains, okay? And not to mention that all those things that come in, many of them have a physical thing, like a vibration or a sound. It's like we're walking around with shock collars on, wondering why we have so much anxiety. And everyone, to, no matter what your worldview is, everyone's saying, we're not equipped to handle it like this, but we keep thinking we can. Another amplifying factor is content. Not only are we letting a stream of information in all the time, what's the content of those things? What's the content of those stories? Uh, You know this, the content providers are invested in making 
something, be anxious. The more anxious it, they can make it, the more you're going to refresh the page, go back to it, have to watch. It's in their best interest and it's in your worst interest. Those are the amplifying factors. They're the rocks, but they're not the source. So if you go and just try and fix those things, you'll say, uh, well, maybe I'm anxious because one of those areas. You say, well, maybe I'm not anxious because I'm not getting enough sleep. So you're going to go and try and get enough sleep. And then when you don't, you're going to be anxious that you're not getting enough sleep. And you're not really causing the, you're not really solving the source. You're maybe getting some rocks off of you, but you're still tied to this post. There's still a source of anxiety. And all those factors are just amplifying factors that make it worse. The anxiety, the fear, you can never make it go away by attacking those areas because those aren't the root. What's causing this constriction? What's the source? Today, I want to look at two key passages on anxiety. One is going to talk about the source, and the other is going to tell us what to do about it. And the first passage is from uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples named Peter, who uh, he's writing to a church, and uh, let's just jump into it. First Peter 5, uh, verse 5. In the same way, he starts out this section saying, you who are younger, submit yourself, submit yourselves to your elders. Everybody over 50 say amen. amen. All the parents say amen. amen. Peter's a little older now. He's getting that senior citizen discount and he wants the credit and respect that comes with it. He's rocking that AARP swag and he wants everyone to know. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, circle that word so you know where it is in the passage, anxiety on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of sufferings. He says there's some things we all must face. Some fears we all must face. You're not alone. You're not the only one. You're not crazy. It's a battle we all must fight. Some fears we all must face and go through and we're in this together. Verse 10, and the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone who he can eat alive. Looking for a future he can ruin before it even gets started. Looking for a family he can divide. A nation he can divide. A church he can divide. Looking for an addiction he can plant. The devil is busy and active. You don't have to, have a, be, a, you don't have to be a preacher to have a target on your back. I appreciate you guys, those in the church who tell me you pray for me and that you're praying for your pastor, and I so appreciate that. I wish I would have prayed for my pastor more, but I'm not under any more attack than anyone else. You need to know this. I'm speaking to everyone here, especially the three dozen people who gave their lives to Christ last week and began a relationship with Christ. That, yeah, you can clap for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. 
but the birthmark of a believer. So Jesus said that when you believe in him, it's like being born again. And it's a new life. And the birthmark of being born again, the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. It's a target. Peter is teaching us that we're born again into a living hope, but just as you're born into a living hope, you're born into a very real battle. This is why Christians say uh, that I'm under attack. Okay, the non-believers, people who don't believe in God, they don't believe in the devil, they don't say I'm under attack, but what do they say? My life is falling apart. I don't know if I'll see the light again. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I can get through this. And here's what Peter is, here's what Peter is doing. He's coming to the church and he's saying, do, do you remember a famous picture now uh, from 9-11 where President Bush is speaking to uh, the kids at the elementary school? He's reading to the kids at the elementary school. It's a famous picture now where his chief of staff comes up to him and whispers in his ear and tells him that a second plane has hit the second tower. And then from their account later, we know he says, America is under attack. That's just how I picture Peter coming to the church right now in a very personal way. And he's saying, you're under attack. And it's not just the preacher. And just as you pray for me, I pray for you too. Because the enemy will take whoever he can get. He's after the construction workers, the stay-at-home parents, the people who have to travel. He's after teachers. He's after sophomores in high school. He's prowling around like a lion, like a roaring lion. Is it you? Is it you that he's been after with thoughts that repeat themselves over and over in your mind? Thoughts of worthlessness, thoughts of anxiety. This seems to be Peter's primary focus because the attack of the enemy manifests itself in an overwhelming sense of anxiety. If it were not the manifestation of the attack, he would not singularly lift it in verse 7 as the manifestation in his concern for the church. You don't have to be embarrassed or feel any condemnation for struggling with anxiety. You're not going to hear that from me today. You're not going to hear that from this pulpit. Because you're under attack. It's not all in your head. You're not making it all up. You're not crazy. You're not alone. Do not despair. And if you're under attack, there's some things you need to know. The good news is it's not an ambush. It says he's a roaring lion. It means there's a warning. Sometimes we act very surprised by the struggles we face and the things we go through. And it's because we think God promised something that he didn't. We think that God promised that if I love him, I won't face any problems. That's not, Jesus is on record saying, in this world you will have trouble. He said, just as there was a bullseye on my back, there's a bullseye on your back because you're a follower of Christ. And just as I was persecuted, you'll be persecuted too. And sometimes we're surprised by the ways that we struggle. But that verse in the Psalms at the top of your page says, many are the afflictions of the who? The righteous. Just because you love God doesn't mean you won't be afflicted. But the Lord is the only one who's going to give you the ability to stand strong and have peace, even in the face of a roaring lion. And Peter is telling us to be alert. Peter, the same guy who couldn't stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane to have Jesus back. He's saying, I'm equipped to teach on this, and I'm telling you, I've learned now, and you've got to be alert. How? How do you do it? The Bible also tells us how. There's an amazing passage from the Apostle Paul found in Philippians chapter 4, where he talks about how to guard against 
anxiety and have the peace of God in the face of this roaring lion. I think it's amazing that Peter says it's an attack and Paul says to guard. He says how to guard against. Look at it with me, Philippians 4, 7. He says, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. That sounds wonderful. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Some passages call it the peace that passes understanding. How do you know that you have a peace that passes understanding? It's when you're in a situation where you have no logical reason to be at peace and you are. That's a peace that passes human understanding. I was in a situation recently where everyone around me was getting offended, angry, agitated, fearful, upset. And I, among everybody, had more right to be offended than anyone else. And it was as though God's peace was guarding my mind. Another instance recently where I got to thinking about something. And I'll just tell you, when I dwell on this thing, when I think about this thing, it keeps me up at night. And it was just, I mean, normally when I dwell on this thing, I go dark for days. And it was just as though God's peace was guarding my heart. How do you have a peace that passes understanding, that guards your heart, that guards your mind? God says, I guarantee you, you can experience God's peace. It's a promise. But there is a condition to this promise. This verse starts with the word, then. There's a condition. He says, if you do these things, then you'll experience God's peace. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So let's look at what he said leading up to this word, then. Well, there's five things around this promise of peace. And he says, if you want peace to guard your heart and mind, well, in the previous verse, he says, don't worry about anything. So you, number one, refuse to worry about anything. The word worry, uh, it used to be a verb that meant to strangle or choke. So the way we ask it now is we say, what are you worrying about? Like you're the worrier. But there's another way that people used to ask the question. They would say, what's worrying you? And that's really how it is. We are not the worriers, we're the worried. And we get choked and we get strangled by these thoughts or circumstances around us to the point where there's no room to breathe. And Paul says, you cannot let it worry you. You can't let the hands of worry get around you. Anxiety is fear that things are not going to go the way we want them to. And we fear something's bad is going to happen. And what makes it anxiety is we can't get that thought out of our minds. We think about it again and again and again. So Paul says, don't worry about anything. Don't let anything worry you because that's where it's going to begin. And if you let it worry you again and again and again, it's going to lead to anxiety and it's going to go dark and it's going to lead to depression. And not only are the thoughts repetitive, they're escalating and it grows to all of a sudden you're thinking, am I going to lose my job? Do I have some disease uh, or something going to happen to my kids? And it spins out of control very quickly. And so Jesus steps into the picture in the Sermon on the Mount. He just flat says it. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about it. Why? Because all things are working together for the good of those who love him. And he says, if you really believe that, you would not worry. Yes, you could be sad Yes, you may be mad. Yes, you may be frustrated. Yes, you may be disappointed. But if you believe that God is working everything, all things, good and bad, together for those who love him, it would be impossible to be anxious, to be worried. 
And so he says, just refuse to just even let it begin to worry. Okay, how do I do that? Number two, Paul says, talk to God about everything. Stop talking to yourself and everyone else about all the stuff that's depressing you and start talking to God. I have a friend who every time I I go to him and I'm talking to him about a problem in my life or something, he says, I'd love to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about this. You can come to me anytime. But I'm just asking, have you prayed about it? No, I haven't prayed about it. Talked to everybody else about it. Googled it. Did everything else. (laughs) If it's not worth praying about, it's not worth worrying about. And when you worry instead of praying, you're you're saying, I'm a spiritual orphan. It's acting like God doesn't exist. Maybe you say, I don't want to bother God with this little thing. Well, every problem in your life is tiny to God. There's no big problems in your life. There's no small problems in your life because all of them are tiny to God. Why? Because God solved your biggest problem, which your biggest problem was you're not perfect and heaven is and you couldn't get into heaven. And so he sent Jesus to live the perfect life you can never live, to die in your place on the cross, rise from the dead, things I could never do. And he gives me the gift of eternal life with him. I don't earn it. I don't work for it. I don't pay for it. It's grace. It's a free gift from God. And it's the biggest problem I have in my life. And if God solved that, every other problem is tiny. Why couldn't I go to him about those things? He says, come to me. Talk to me about everything. There's no area of your life you can't go to God about. Refuse to let the grip of worry tighten around you. Talk to God about it. Number three, thank God in all things. He says, tell God what you need. That's prayer, right? The same. Thank him. In all things, thank him for all he's done. Let's look at another verse for some context here. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Read this one with me. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say give thanks for all things, because there's a lot of things you shouldn't be thankful for. There's pain in the world. There's evil in the world. Somebody gets cancer. You don't have to be thankful for cancer. But it says, give thanks in all things. Which means even in the bad times, I can find something to be thankful for. I can find something to love. Listen now, you don't have to love everything about your life to love your life. You don't have to love everything about your spouse to love your spouse. You don't have to love everything about where you live to love where you live. You don't have to love everything about your job to love your job. Let's just do this. I got a two, two-fold question for you, and we'll just do this by a show of hands, and then you keep it up. Who has something in their job that they uh, really dislike? And uh, yeah, keep your hand up. Maybe you even thought about quitting because of this thing. Or you have someone that you work with or a client or something like that that causes problems for you and your job. So keep your hand up, hold them up, keep them up, keep them up. Look around and look at all the hands up. So you can put them out. Is the grass greener on the other side? Is there ever a, a job or a life or a place to live where there's gonna be something you don't love about it? Stop waiting around to be thankful. Stop waiting around to love your life. People say, I'm going to wait to love my life and thank God for it until I enjoy every part of it. Never going to happen. 
You don't have to love everything about your life to love your life. You don't have to love everything about someone to love them. You don't have to love everything about your church to love your church. You don't have to love everything about your country to love your country. You don't have to love everything about your life to love it and thank God for it. Study after study has shown that the healthiest emotion known to human beings is gratitude. We know that gratitude is one of the remedies of depression because it gets my eyes off myself and it gets them onto other people. Instead of looking at what I don't have, I'm thankful for what I do have. It says when you ask God, don't just ask him but also thank him. And the fact is I can always have something to be grateful for. There's no time in your life where everything is so good that there's nothing bad. There's no time in your life where everything is so bad that there's nothing good that you can be thankful for. And so my challenge to you this week is every day this week, open up your mouth and say to God, as though he were really alive and there, because he is, and say, thank you, God, for my life. I love my life. It's a gift from you, and I thank you for it. This is God's will for you. As a pastor, people come to me all the time, and they say, what is God's will for my life? This verse says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to know God's will for your career, God's will for your relationships, God's will uh, for where to live, God's will and how to serve him, step one is to give thanks in all circumstances, to believe in him as though he were there, he is alive because he is, and open up your mouth and thank him, and if you wouldn't do step one, why would he show you step two? The next thing is found in verse 8, number 4. And so he's given this promise and he adds on some things and he says, think about good things. This is extremely important because the anxiety war, the battle that's going on is between your ears. His peace will guard your heart and mind. That's the inside of you. It's your thought life. And what you fill your mind with will determine your success to resist and stand strong. If you want Uh, peace of mind, you're going to have to start by controlling what you allow in. Some people's minds are a freeway. Anything can drive through at any time. Look at Philippians 4.8. He gives us the filters. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He says, if there's anything redeeming, anything worthy of praise, thank God for it. Fix your eyes on that. That's a picture of God. What he's saying is think about things that are godly. In World War II, Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian young woman. And her her family, the Ten Boom family, her dad was a clockmaker and they lived in Amsterdam during World War II. She wrote a book about it. They made a movie about it called The Hiding Place. And they would hide um, Jews from the Nazis. And they would hide their Jewish friends. But uh, they did this for years. But one day the Nazis found them in their hiding place. And so he took all the Jewish friends, they also took the Ten Boom family into death camps in Poland, and Corey lost her entire family. She was the only one who survived. And she said in her book, now this famous statement, famous poem, she says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. It all depends on what you have your eyes on. I don't look within, I look at God. I look at Christ. Peter says the same thing, and it's the, look at the passage from Peter again. I put it in your notes again. Peter is writing this, and he's writing in the Greek. And in the Greek language, these two verses, 6 and 7, wouldn't be two separate sentences. This is one thought. And it's what happens in the second verse is predicated on whether or not what happens in the verse before it is applied. 
So in Greek, in one sentence, it would read like this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, comma, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Too many of us, we've been trying to cast our anxiety, cast our worry, cast our cares, but keep our pride. So if you insist on doing it your way, then you're going to I mean, just expect to feel that the weight of the world is on your shoulders because guess what it is? You cannot cast your cares just because you decide to. God, I'm so worried. God, I'm so frustrated. God, make me not worried. Don't you care? Aren't you listening? I'm casting them. Look at the word anxiety. Do you see it? I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have what it takes. Take this anxiety. I'm casting on you all my anxiety. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know what I have, what it takes. Look at what's at the center of that word. Look at how it's spelled. Do you see it? At the center of your anxiety, if you really trace it, I'm saying, spiritually speaking now, that at the center of your anxiety is your pride. And the reason you're so anxious is because it's you at the center. And you can't sustain it because it's not your throne. It's not your battle. Even listen to your language. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can take on another thing. I don't know if I can make it. If I, 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 I. You can't spell anxiety without I. You know what other word I is in the middle of? Pride. And maybe the reason you're carrying this anxiety that you can't get rid of is because you're bearing a weight that you were never meant to bear. And you humble yourself, Peter says, under the mighty hand of God. It's not a command to cast your anxiety on him. It's a result. The command is to humble yourself under God. And when I do, the anxiety goes with the pride. And if you would get yourself out of the center, if I would get myself out of the center, get God on the throne and lift my hands to him and bend my knee to him and bow before him and say, God, I can't do it without you. I can't. I can't lead without you. I can't live without you. I can't preach without you. I can't parent without you. I can't be the spouse I'm supposed to be without you. I can't make it without you and I need you. And show me the way. Show me your will. And it will be my joy to say, yes, Lord, your will, your way. And I humble myself before you. It's the reason you're so anxious because of your pride. Maybe the anxiety is the fruit and pride is the root. And if you would pluck it up by the root, the fruit couldn't grow. Who better to teach on this than Peter? Come on, he, he's the one who Jesus said to the 12 disciples, all of you are going to fall away. Pretend you don't even know me. And Peter says, no, Lord, if all fall away, I won't. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, before... The second rooster crow, you're going to be pretending you don't even know me. Peter says, I know what pride is. And I know what humility is. And I know what makes us anxious and I know how to get rid of it. And it's not a command to cast your anxiety. It's a command to humble yourself and the anxiety will go with the pride. Peter, Peter doesn't say run. He says resist. Just come under the mighty hand of God. Peter wants us to know that it was with an outstretched arm and a strong mighty hand that the Jewish people were saved from Egyptian slavery. It's what brought them out. It's what made a way where there was no way. 
And he says that same outstretched arm and that same mighty hand this has been working all things together for the glory of God throughout history is still outstretched and it's still mighty today. And if you'd humble yourself under it, there's still power there. There's still a way there and he's still making a way where there is no way. So I will get my eyes off me. I will get them on God. I will say, okay, Lord, your way, your way. Number five, be content with anything. The Bible tells us to be content with anything. Let me explain contentment because a lot of people misunderstand the meaning. A lot of people think contentment is that I don't have any ambition. No, 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 no. Apostle Paul is the most ambitious person the world's ever known. Took the, uh, almost single-handedly took the good news of the gospel to the, almost the whole Roman Empire. And he says, I've learned to be content. Here's what contentment is. It's enjoying what I have right now rather than waiting for something else to happen in order to make me happy. Say, I'm not going to let what I what I want rob me of what I have right now. It doesn't mean I don't want to progress. It doesn't mean I don't want to grow. It doesn't mean I don't have goals. It means I'm not waiting for something to happen in my life in order to be happy. Contentment is actually totally independent of circumstances. It means my joy is not connected to what's happening in my life right now. I've learned to be content. Let's look at how he says it. He says, not that I was ever really in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. He says, I've learned to be content. And when you compare, you get jealous or envious. In other words, it's eating you up. And it will eat you alive if you get envious. Proverbs 14.30 says, peace of mind. Another way to translate that is contentment. Makes the body healthy. But envy is like a cancer. These five strategies, they're very easy to explain. They're hard to do. It's not easy to worry about nothing. It's not easy to pray about everything. It's not easy to fix your thoughts on good things, to be thankful in all circumstances, and to be content with anything. So where in the world am I going to get the energy to do the things that reduces the anxiety? Maybe that's what you say today, Rylan, I believe everything you're saying is true. I believe that the word of God is true, and I believe that if I do those things, I've done them before, they make a difference, and they're going to help. Maybe you say, but I'm depressed, and one of the side effects of being depressed is no energy, and I've got no energy to do these things. I've got no energy to resist the worry. I've got no energy to give thanks to God. I've got no energy to lift my hands, to bow my knee, to, to speak to God, to talk to Him. God said, that's why God says, come to me. Come to me. I want to close with this last verse, or two verses, Job twenty two twenty one. Obey God and be at peace with him. This is the way to happiness. And maybe the real reason you're not at peace is because you're at war. At war with God. And until you make peace with God, that's what the Bible says he sent Jesus Christ to do to make peace with God for us. And when you make peace with God, then you get the peace of God and you can have peace with others. There's not gonna be peace in this world until the Prince of Peace is reigning in our lives and in our hearts. So in order to have peace, the peace of God, you have to be at peace with God. But the Apostle Paul wraps this whole section up with this final thought. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When you're depressed, you don't feel like singing. When you're depressed, you don't feel like going to church. I applaud you for being here today. 
Way to go. That's amazing. You took a step against your anxiety. And God is giving you the power. You don't feel like doing much. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like giving thanks. You don't feel like thinking good things. You don't feel like encouraging others. You don't feel like being content. But you have to just make, make one move. Choices lead. Feelings will follow. And when you move against your anxiety, the strength and the peace of God comes. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you'd bow your heads, it doesn't really matter what words you say. You can just, in your heart and mind, say, me too, God, me too. Say, dear God, I don't, I don't want to be anxious. I want to believe that you're working all things together for my good. Help me to worry about nothing. To trust that you're going to take care of me. Dear God, help me to worry about nothing and pray about everything. Instead of talking to myself, I want to talk to you. Help me to thank God in all things. Help me to think about good things. And God, I ask you to help me be content with anything. God, I want to have peace. I want to have pe- be at peace with you so I can have the peace of God. Jesus, my Lord, I don't understand it all. But as much as I know right now, as much as I can, I say yes to you. And I humbly open my heart as humbly as I can and say, God, make yourself real to me. I pray this in your name. Amen.